So the first question will be asked to His Holiness Krishna Kshetraswami. And the question goes like this. Commitment is an essential aspect of Bhakti Yoga. Commitment to Krishna, Guru, the process, our service, our ashram, our partner, our vows, the holy name. But because commitment is such a serious thing, and considering that we are all fallible souls, some devotees develop commitment phobia. How to resolve this issue? <laughs> commitment phobia. <laughs> well, yes. <clears throat> very nicely put question. Um, very uh, comprehensive and recognizing the situation of we might want to say the postmodern it's one of the postmodern illnesses we might say um, it's become almost a norm that one doesn't commit because yeah so many things can change and how do we know and um, this is good and that is good and the other is good and uh, so what did they say in America the uh, average uh, number of different jobs one has in the course of one's working life is 16 16 different uh, job activities one will have average that means some are more <laughs> so uh, it's difficult it's uh, the idea of commitment uh, feels like something out of style <laughs> um, religious life on the other hand is all about commitment and here someone may say, yes, and indeed, what does Krishna tell us at the end of Bhagavad Gita? Sarva Dharma and Prityaja. <laughs> ah, but don't forget what he says next. <laughs> what does he say next? Mam e kam sharanam raja. Uh, this word raja, of course, makes us think of raja, the the holy land of Vrindavan. I think it's Krishna's humor that he uses that word because it's, it's actually, um, it's a, okay, technical grammar. It's second person uh, singular imperative to go. So it's saying, it's a command, go. <laughs> Where to go, mom, to me, <clears throat> to you and some others, yes, so many others, so many gods. No, not so many gods, mom, ekam, <laughs> go to me exclusively. So what to do about commitment, commitment phobia? Well, as with any phobia, I would say first step is to acknowledge it. And, uh, and see 
see why, uh, try to see what it is, what's the dynamic of this phobia? What is the dynamic of the fear? Um, It may be a fear of, I commit myself to something which ends up being the wrong thing. I, I committed myself to the wrong thing. Or I commit myself to the right thing, but the right thing is somehow also seems kind of mad. An example comes to my mind uh, is that um, Lord Rama commits himself to follow the order of his father, an order which his father did not want to give, but was forced to give, that he should, um, he should leave, he should go to the forest for 14 years, and so on. Uh, Rama takes it as, his, as a, in a very simple way. It's the order of my father, but uh, I, so there's, there's no question. But uh, the whole rest of the world said, that's crazy. Uh, all of Ayodhya wanted to come with Rama. So part of our anxiety might be, well, I commit myself to something. And then it turns out to me against the whole world. I remember I, I was in Amsterdam in 19... This shows that I'm a dinosaur. Uh, 1973. And... Uh, Our temple president was very nice devotee, very committed, and he wanted to emphasize that um, commitment is important. And sometimes he would say, you know, my feeling is that uh, even if everyone else leaves, I will stay. Even if everyone else leaves, I will stay. Uh, a similar sense of commitment, similar different sense of commitment uh, we hear from Srila Prabhupada when he says, um, even if no one comes. So the temple president was saying, even if everyone goes, and Prabhupada says, even if no one comes, uh, I will simply preach to the walls, <laughs> wasn't it? He said, I will speak to the walls. Srila Rupa Goswami says, Utsaha nischaya dairya tat-tat karma pravartanat. A very interesting sort of formula, and here I think uh, what can help us to address this uh, commitment phobia is uh, to understand that it's a package that Rupa Goswami is giving that if we can adopt the whole package, utsahan, enthusiasm, nischayat, conviction, and dharyat, patience, and tat-tat-karma-pravartanat, doing the variety of activities that we do as devotees, and sangha-tyaga, giving up um, 
un, unfavorable association or avoiding or uh, keeping a healthy distance from unhealthy, a healthy distance from unhealthy association. How's that? Sata <laughs> vritti. Um, is uh, my understanding is something like um, doing honest labor, satavriti. Uh, so this is a kind of package we can, we can if if we if if we pursue the whole package, then commitment becomes uh, not such a fearful thing, and in. in uh, in fact, we can take shelter of commitment. So when we make vows at the time of initiation, we can, when the when the going gets tough, we can take shelter of our commitment. Uh, the mind may say so many things, um, but our intelligence says, "That's all right, my dear mind." But I've made a commitment. So don't mind, but I'm going to keep to this commitment. Those are a few thoughts. All right, please add something. I think Maharaja answered beautifully, but just to build on some of his points, um, they say that your greatest fear also contains your greatest potential. So the things that we're fear of, fearful about are a good indication of the things that are actually going to bring us the greatest development um, in our life as well. Mm. And uh, here's one way in which I tend to reframe commitment. Um, what I say to myself first and to others who are scared about making a commitment is I say, it's a risk to take a risk, but it's also a risk to not take that risk. It's an interesting human psychology that we think to make a commitment is risky, but to not make the commitment is the safe option. Mm. It's a human psychology to think that doing something is risky, but not doing something is safe when actually, if you think about it, they're just as dangerous as each other. <laughs> doing the wrong thing is dangerous, and not doing the right thing is just as dangerous, if not more dangerous. Mm. Once such, His Holiness Sachin Andamaraj had called me um, to discuss something, but before we got into the discussion, he always says, let me share something spiritual with you before business. <laughs> and then he said to me, the pain of discipline is uncomfortable, but the pain of regret is unbearable. <laughs> and so we often shy away from commitments because we think it's uncomfortable, as Marge said, we're fearful. But if we don't make those commitments, later on down the line, we'll look back at our life and maybe we'll feel regret. Mm -hmm. And that is unbearable because then you can't turn back the clock and change it. So, um, just to say one final thing, um, we are actually compiling a book at the moment called Planting Pearls, and it's based on a seminar that His Holiness Kadama Kananamaraj did about commitments and vows. Mm. 
And the story that he used to tell in relation to vows and commitments is the story of Krishna planting pearls. Mm. And we know that a very famous story at Malia Harakund in Vrindavan that Krishna wanted some pearls from the gopis to decorate his cows and they refused to give. <laughs> so then he decided to go to Nanda Maharaj's courtyard and plant pearls <laughs> and nourish them with the milk of Raja's cows. And everyone was laughing at him. And sure enough, the next day, those plant pearls that he planted shooted into trees of pearls. And so Kadamba Khanamaraj used to use this story to talk about how commitments are like planting pearls in your heart. And when you take those commitments and you nourish them and you um, support them and you invest in them, then those pearls of commitments lead to many, many pearls in your spiritual life. And so, um, so yes, this is the joy of making a commitment. It's a very beautiful life. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. We take one more question from the box and then we will go uh, toward the devotees. The question is, what can we do to fulfill Srila Prabhupada's yet unfulfilled mission of establishing Varnasham Dharma? Uh. <laughs> It's your turn. Hare Krishna. Yes, please. Um, I guess there are many ways to see, or many aspects to Varanashram. One aspect of Varanashram is obviously creating communities, self-sufficient communities, and all of those kind of things, um, where we kind of are not dependent on the world and we show an example of simple living, high thinking. So in that respect, definitely more communities like that. We have many communities like that all over the world. And devotees also experiencing the joy of that. I always feel like a little bit of a hypocrite talking about this because I was saying in Zurich, I'm a city slicker. So I've lived my whole life in a city. So the thought of living in a farm is very alien, is very different. Um, but I think the more that we can expose ourselves and, and, and understand the joy of that, that will be very nice. And more devotees participating in such projects would be beautiful. But the other aspect of Varnashram Dharma for all of us living here in the world is to actually understand our Dharma. Varna and Ashram means everyone has a certain occupation that they're psychophysically wired for. And Ashram means there's a stage of life that if one embraces, then one can find incredible strength in that Ashram in order to combat the material energy. And so one of the other aspects of Varnashram is to, for us to all find the most ideal occupation and the most ideal uh, stage and ashram in life. And if we're able to honor our Swadharma, our Varnashram in that way, in our individual life, then it will bring a lot of strength to our movement. So perhaps... In our movement for a long time that was neglected because bhakti is always higher than dharma. 
And because bhakti is higher than dharma, there sometimes tends to be a neglect of dharma. But one of Srila Prabhupada's godbrothers, he explains very nicely that dharma is like scaffolding. You understand scaffolding? I don't know the German word for that. There is. Um, gerüst. Yeah, so when you're... Baugerüst. So when you're building a building, first you create scaffolding and then you build the building and then once the cement is strong, then even if you take away the scaffolding, the building remains steady. So Varanashram Dharma is like that. It's really supportive. Um, so yes, let us in our individual lives find our uh, Dharma and then have communities where we also show Varanashram Dharma in terms of how all these ashrams and varnas fit together in a self-sufficient community. Should I say something to, to that? Mm. Um, um, so, uh, regarding communities and uh, yeah, can country, f farming, village, simple living, high thinking, etc. We know that Srila Prabhupada said so much on this topic and um, as you said, you're a city slicker, I'm more of a suburb slicker. I grew up in suburbs in different places. Um, and it's going to sound sacrilegious, probably, but to, to say this, Prabhupada spoke of farms and so on. He also did not grow up on a farm. He was also growing up in the city, um, which is not to diminish anything about Srila Prabhupada. What it is is to say he gave us a challenge. A huge challenge uh, when and he made it sound so simple <laughs> just have farms with cows and grow grow grains and just work three months of the year I think those who actually take care of cows they really laugh when you say this <laughs> uh, but I have a little mantra that I uh, respond to devotees sometimes. Devotees come to me with their personal issues, person, personal problems, and, and say sometimes, oh, you know, the situation is desperate, what do I do? Um, my, my answer is serve cows. They go, what? <laughs> serve cows. Oh, you mean I should go to the farm and take care of the cows? Well, if you have that possibility, it might be very good for you. Uh, if you don't have that possibility, find some other way to serve cows. Uh, and you can start by speaking about cows, um, discussing, trying to understand what, uh, what Srila Prabhupada spoke and wrote about cows. I think if we would do some of that to address the question how to promote more uh, this 
varnashram concept, recognizing, as you're saying, uh, varnashram, divya varnashram is a scaffolding. It's funny, just as you were saying that, just before that, I was thinking, yeah, varnashram, it's, it's kind of like a scaffolding, isn't it? And then you said one of our, the acharyas is saying that. Srila uh, Prabhupada's God brothers. One of his God brothers, so there you go. Um, <laughs> so, cows. Um, I think it's a nice, nice thing to think about and uh, not just think about, but speak about, and not just speak about, but um, the, the term go seva is there. Seva, seva is something more than. Um, well, it, it's the sense of service that's ongoing, that's, a, atten, that's attentive, attentive service. And I'm saying this as someone who, you know, I, I can't even say that I can milk a cow. I've tried, wasn't very successful. Um, but uh, as Bhakti Tirta Swami once said, he was giving a lecture in Mayapur. And he was really, really going in his lecture. He was, he was shouting, <laughs> but an ecstatic shouting of how we have to be serious in Christian consciousness. He was shouting, and then suddenly he stopped. And he said, don't mind me, I'm just preaching to myself. <laughs> <laughs> so like that, I'm speaking... Uh, Maybe we can do something more in this direction because um, as an outreach, as a movement, uh, we want to, we want to uh, walk our talk. And uh, that's, that's the challenge. We want to bring the, what we say in line with what we do and what we do in line with what we say. Otherwise, who will take us seriously? So that's my thought. Thank you, Maharaj. So we will now take a question from the audience. You please raise your hands, and maybe we can oh, ask Krishna. I have one, yeah? one more comment. Um, very short. Um, my god sister, Urmila Devi, and... Um, what is her name? Ruchira. Ruchira. Yes, Ruchira. Uh, they have written a book, which has it come out yet? It's on its way. It's called Career Dharma. And this is a very uh, carefully researched book, uh, which is uh, intended to address our society, but also the wider society, to show how... Varna. Varna, in particular, they don't speak so much about ashram, but Varna can actually make sense in our present world. They're doing a course in Zurich in two weeks. On in two weeks, they're doing a course in Zurich. I'm just two finding weeks. out. So, be there or be square. <laughs> Thank you, Maharaj. Yeah. First question. Thank you, Maharaj. Um, 
Tulasi Rasa, just to inform me, just to add to that, that the book would be available on July 28th and 29th oh, okay. at the Zurich Temple, because Mother Urmila is also coming, and uh, we can also purchase the book. And, uh, and she will also have a seminar, so it's a good opportunity for yeah. me. Thank you. And uh, my question was just uh, in relation to this, because it, it's a point I was thinking of last week. Uh, about how, because at the Zurich temple, the devotee had raised this question of how Prabhupada wanted us to go back uh, and have a simple life, the village life, and in line with Varnashrama Dharma, etc. And I was thinking how, and I was personally reflecting about this also, that this is something that Prabhupada desired, and where am I in my positionality in relation to this? And um, on a personal level, then I was thinking that somehow automatically or spontaneously, I think for me, it's like when I get much older, then I would do it in the sense that um, go to go away from the city and have that simple life in the village. And I was thinking, why is it so? And the thought that came to my mind is because we have to preach and most of the people are in the city. We are a preaching movement and we have to grow, we have to expand. And that's why, and also, I personally also grew up in a city village environment. I'm not really village, but city and suburban environment. So I don't know if you you would like to address this, that um, because we are a preaching movement and we can introduce Krishna consciousness in such variegated ways, would this understanding be, uh, of course, for some of us, it's okay that we do have this inclination, but it maybe is not for all of us that we have to right away think that, okay, we have to work towards this uh, simple living uh, village lifestyle or just meditate on Varnashrama. Just my personal reflection, maybe you, you could just shed some light upon. So you're saying, okay, let's let's have the simple living, the, the village, etc. Um, but I don't have to feel guilt, guilty for not dropping everything and going to the farm myself because I'm part of the mission, uh, which we are. We are a mission, which means um, going out. And it means going to the cities, as Bhakti Siddhanta Thakur urged. Is that what, is that what you're saying? Mm. Yes, uh, it, it reminds me, um, it was, uh, I think, October 2019, I visited Gita Nagari Farm in uh, Pennsylvania in the U.S. Wonderful project in so many ways. And it was arranged uh, that some of us meet, go to uh, the home of one Amish family. Have you heard of the Amish? Talk about simple living, high thinking. I mean, these, <laughs> these people actually do it. <laughs> but they don't, they don't preach, as far as I know. I mean, their, their thing is, uh, we basically, they kind of stopped the clock in the mid-18th century. Um, well, they found they couldn't completely stop the clock. <laughs> uh, 
It's, so anyway, we had a, a two-hour session speaking with um, the, uh, the father of this family, large family. They, have, they like to have lots of kids. Uh, that's one way they spread their movement, <laughs> their bhakta program. Um, but two things struck me. One was, indeed, they, they are so very different from our movement, which is all about movement. And it's hard to imagine uh, sort of doing what they're doing because of our global orientation. That was one thing that struck me. And the other was this gentleman explained to us that, I don't know, it was one or two years before, um, there was a fire in his chimney which burned uh, the roof of the house. Um, and he said, within 24 hours, we had a new roof. And how was that? It was because the whole community came together. And they, they determined the size of a community in terms of how, how far away one can live from the other side of the community. Is if you can ride a horse and carriage um, for... I think it's two hours from one side to the other side of the community. That's, you don't want it more than that because they have their, their, um, their worship services in each other's houses. They don't, at least this particular community, they, uh, they just meet in each other's houses. So you have to be able to go within two hours to the house on the opposite end of the community, with a horse and buggy. <laughs> you have to be able in two hours. Anyway, the point is, the community came together. Within 24 hours, he had a new roof. And so the, the point of that is the sense of cooperation that's there. Uh, where do we get that? That's so powerful. Thank you, Maharaj. Maybe before we, we go further, I just wanted to see if maybe Badahari Prabhu or Vedyanath Prabhu, maybe to give priority to you if you have some any questions. No? Yeah. Yes? Uh, it's coming. Um, I, I've been thinking about this desire in the heart that we have to become devotees. And sometimes that's spoken of as a, being planted, Bhakti-lata-bhish, our association with that. Uh-oh, I think I know where this question's going. <laughs> and I've also heard it spoken of as, um, I'm sorry, it's, it's my question. <laughs> you could have not asked me. <clears throat> but um, and I've also spoken of, I've heard it described as when one gets association of a devotee, the desire to serve awakens. And that's one definition of Shraddha. And I've um, 
I never heard that before. But I just uh, anyway, what's the what is the what is this shraddha? What is this bija? Maybe you could. What's our siddhanta on that topic? I guess. I, Badari Prabhu and myself had a 45-minute conversation on this yesterday, so uh, I've shared my ideas. Sorry, I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. You can share it. <laughs> so specifically, today you're talking about the, sh- the Shraddha, the Bhakti Lata Bij. What does that actually mean to receive the Bhakti Lata Bij? Yeah. So, I think it's described as the the rules and regulations of devotional service. Or like yeah, that. but there's, I mean, I experienced after meeting Shiva <clears throat> that there was something that was planted in my heart. <laughs> so I was wondering what. Of course, you know it's this stuff anyway. Yes. I'll share some thoughts and then Krishna Shetra Maharaj will actually answer the question. <laughs> uh, in Madhurya Kadambini, Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur begins by addressing this point. What is the beginning of devotional service? And he basically goes through a process of elimination. He says maybe the beginning of devotional service is that you did many pious activities. And then he says no because piety is material. How can something material cause something spiritual? So then he says, maybe it's Krishna's mercy. And then he says, no, that can't be true because samoham sarvabhuteshu, Krishna is equal to everyone. So then everyone would get it. So then he says, it can't be um, Krishna. So then he comes to the point of saying it's the devotee because the madhyam makes a distinction, prema, maitri, kripo, apeksha, he sees distinction, he sees who is open, and then by the mercy of the devotee, then one is receiving the bhakti lata beach. This is confirmed by Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami, who says, Krishna bhakti janma mula hoya sadhu sang that the very root cause of Krishna Bhakti is the association of a devotee. Of course, Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur goes even further. He said, actually, if you want to trace it even further, we can say it's the devotee, but really what it is, is it's the bhakti within the heart of a devotee that impels them to give the bhakti lata to someone else. Mm -hmm. And in that way, his final conclusion in the Madhurya Kadambini is, where does bhakti come from? Only bhakti can create bhakti. Which is very, very beautiful, he explains. But what does it mean then that one receives the bhakti lata beach? Of course, yesterday we were talking about this debate that goes on about whether that bhakti lata is inherent within the devotee or whether that bhakti lata is inherited by a devotee, by association. Um, And of course, this, if I would like to say, Vaishnav debate is very much, as we were talking about, connected to the debate of whether the jiva fell from the spiritual world or whether the jiva is eternally in the material world. So generally, if you have that notion, that understanding that the jiva fell, then there'll be an understanding that bhakti is inherent. 
And if you have the understanding that the jiva was eternally here in the material world, then it kind of fits with the theory that the bhakti lata is inherited by association. But leaving that debate aside, as, as Maharaj writes in the beginning of Padmanabh Swami's book, Vaishnavas like to debate <laughs> and discuss these things. Uh, but leaving that aside, there's actually, I'll try and find it in a second, there's actually a purport where Srila Prabhupada talks about the instilling of the Bhakti Lata Beach. And I'll find it, but in essence what he says is that Receiving the bhakti lata means you receive the process of devotional service and you also receive the guidance of how to practice that process of devotional service and you also receive the faith and the inspiration to begin that process. So when all three of those things or all of those things are installed within a devotee's heart, then we can say the bhakti lata now has a opportunity to flourish. Um, and then Shravana Kirtana Jale Koriye Sechan, that by the watering of hearing and chanting, that Bhakti Lata is then growing and growing. So so the so my understanding is that Ado Shraddha. It's interesting when we say Ado Shraddha, quoting Rupa Goswami, that it begins with Shraddha. It's interesting that in Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur's commentary on the second chapter of the Bhagavatam, where he's commentating on Srinvatam Sakata Krishna, he actually says there are not nine stages, there are, I think, 14 stages. And he actually says there are stages before Shraddha. And he says that's the instilling of the Bhakti Lata Beach. Um, and to instill the Bhakti Lata Beach means to get the process, the rules and regulations the guidance and the faith and inspiration to then engage in the process. I'll try to find that. Maharaj, you can add and I'll try to. <laughs> what could I possibly add? Um, <laughs> except maybe the, uh, the other famous verse from the Chaitanya Charitamrita, Shraddha Shabde Vishwas Kahe, it's a kind of definition of shraddha. Um, shraddha shabde vishvas kahe. Um, it's the same as vishvasa. Well, what is vishvasa? <laughs> uh, shraddha shabde vishvas kahe. Sudridha nischoy. Mm. Yeah, nischoy, having the conviction. What conviction? Uh, Krishna bhakti koile sarva karma kritahoy. So if I do Krishna bhakti, all karma, all action, all I need to do is Krishna bhakti. That's essentially what it's saying. So... Um, the word shraddha, there, there was a, there's a very nice uh, sort of scholar, scholarly uh, 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 article was written uh, by Gopinath Acharya Prabhu. He researched in, as a, as a philo, philologist, how is this word shraddha 
used throughout the, the Shastras. And he, he says, as I remember, it kind of boils down to the idea of having confidence that by doing X, there will be the result Y. If I do bhakti, then all of, all of that's necessary to be done will be done. That's essentially what uh, he came to that conclusion. Yeah. So, um, but to say a word about the debate, and I must. Whoop! <clears throat> Little excitement in life. It's good to keep everybody awake. <clears throat> Actually, Krishna was pushing it over because he's saying. I want to see all the devotees while I have my, my breakfast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, a very general point I would like to make. We often find ourselves with questions of an either-or nature. Is it like this or is it like that? Did we fall or are we eternally here? Um, etc., etc. You could go on pretty much ad infinitum with these either or questions. And my personal sense, um, I like to think that it's some sort of wisdom that comes with years, with age, is I become suspicious of the either or dichotomy and begin to wonder, is, there, is this a real dichotomy or is it a false dichotomy? Are we asking the wrong question? Are we, are we thinking in, in a way which is uh, preventing us from getting to uh, the higher truth? And I think it's good to have this suspicion when we are confronted with these sorts of questions. Did you find it? Yeah, this is Srila Prabhupada in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Just the reference, if you're interested, is Madhya 19, 152. Srila Prabhupada says, The Bhakti Lata Bij means the seed of devotional service. Everything has an original cause or seed. For any idea, program, plan, or device, there is first of all the contemplation of the plan. And that is called the bija, or the seed. The methods, rules, and regulations by which one is perfectly trained in devotional service constitute the bhakti lata bija, or seed of devotional service. So he says, the methods, rules, and regulations by which one is perfectly trained constitutes the bhakti lata. The way I read that is that if you've received that guidance, the methods, the tools, and you've been trained, and you can then, with your faith, go on and practice it, the, the bhakti lata has been installed. That's how. It's ongoing. <laughs> Maybe we can go to Vedyanath Prabhu. Yes, thank you, Hare Krishna. The Bhakti Lata Beach, 
Yes, I have a very fundamental question which I've been busy with for the last decades of my life, actually. Um, and uh, still, I haven't found a solution, so I want to... And you expect us to <laughs> resolve it. <laughs> right. So, uh, Bhaktilata Beach instills devotional service, uh, Bhakti. And Srila Prabhupada emphasized that Bhakti is just, not just an abstract feeling, but is actually devotional service and practice. One does something for Krishna. Still looking back at the last past decades of my life, there are very few moments I've been able to actually do something for Krishna directly. Most of the time I've been busy maintaining my family, going to work and so on. So in, in practice, um, very few, Prabhupada, he uh, founded this movement so that many people could have the opportunity to serve Krishna directly. But now that so many devotees live in the congregation, very few actually have, have the opportunity to serve Krishna on the altar and things like that. So um, how can this be resolved, that one, one, one can be connected with Krishna even though one is not working directly for Krishna? <laughs> Thank you, Bro. I think that's connected to the previous question about Varnashram, that what we basically have to do is create communities whereby devotees can live with devotees, devotees can maintain themselves by doing devotional things, and basically we create a whole system whereby Devotees don't have to then go out and work so hard in the world for so many hours in the week and uh, be exposed to so many material situations and have to kind of do so many roundabout activities to maintain themselves so they can have a little bit of time in the week to do some direct service for Krishna. So I think that's why Marge was mentioning the Amish community is very, very powerful because they basically create a community in which they maintain the economy within itself. And so basically what we then do is we are able to uh, save time, save energy, and um, save space to actually just uh, do devotional service. So I think it's very much connected, and, and this is probably, not probably, it seems clear, this is why Srila Prabhupada emphasized Varanashram so much, because he knew the percentage of devotees who would live in ashrams as renunciates for their whole life is probably going to be very, very small. So the reality is that for most devotees, you know, they will need to live in a family situation and then that requires an economy and that requires um, a certain social structure. So if we don't create our own economy and our own social structure, then it means we have to deal with the economy and social structure of the world. And then as soon as we do that, then um, we are in uh, the land of Maya, as Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur was told by Gaur Kishore Das Babaji, never go to the land of Maya, land of which he was with. Calcutta. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. And Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur said, my spiritual master told me never to go to the land of Maya and I followed his instruction perfectly. He said, because whenever I went to Calcutta, I always stayed in the Bhag Bazaar temple. Ah, and so I was never living in the land of Maya. 
Is so that embassy, is uh, embassy, an embassy, mm. the spiritual world. Mm. So to me, it seems that is connected to the previous point of why Varanashram is so important. We have to create that opportunity. I agree. <laughs> um, but maybe, maybe I can add something uh, to express a concern which relates to this, which I observe taking the present situation where, as you said, so many, uh, most devotees have their families living, we say, outside. Uh, <laughs> what is outside? What is inside? So there's a phenomenon which is, um, hmm, kind of unfortunate, or maybe very unfortunate in some places. And that is that um, there's a kind of division between the temple and the community, where the temple is very focused on outreach um, and on maintaining itself and on maintaining the de deity worship. And the householders living out are focused on maintaining themselves, their families. And um, they, I sometimes hear it, they, they feel alienated or in some ways uh, neglected by the temple, such that um, they find it difficult to feel the inspiration to serve in the temple even on a weekend or one day of the week to do some, some service uh, for the deities. Um, this is in, I think, in, in some places around our society, the, the case. And I think we're, we're um, it's, it's a process of maturation that we're, we, we want to learn how to uh, sort of go beyond that situation. And what I also see is that because we are a, 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 um, a preaching mission, naturally we are growing, and as a result, there will be naturally different, um, different communities developing within a given city, for example. And sometimes that's seen as a threat. When I, I would suggest we try to see it as an opportunity that, oh, our movement is expanding. Here's a group of devotees. They feel like-minded in their way. Good. Let them encourage them to have, have their uh, sangha. And here's another group instead of saying, no, 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 you can't have groups, we all have to be just, you know, centered in the temple. Uh, I think this is needing a lot of, a lot of discussion and uh, deeper understanding if we want to really expand the Krishna consciousness movement. Um, let me say one more thing on this. Uh, 
I want to mention a very nice experience I had just uh, two or three weeks ago in Serbia. We were having our summer, they don't, don't call it summer camp anymore, it's a retreat. And on the last day, um, I, I suggested to the devotees that let's, let's do some imagining, let's do some fantasizing. And I, I, I suggested, let's imagine what things could be like in the Krishna consciousness movement. Let's just imagine. And I gave the example um, of Srila Prabhupada saying, I, um, only time separates me uh, or separates us uh, from so many things he described, temples, books, devotees, so many things uh, that he was already envisioning. So I encouraged devotees to express their visions of how things could be. And it was amazing how responsive the devotees were. They had so many ideas. Some of them were, you know, way out there, hard to imagine. Um, but others were more down to earth and, and they were like, yes, let's do this. Why don't we do this? And everything in between. But really everyone got very enthusiastic. Something you can, you can experiment with. Uh, you can try sometime with a group of devotees. Can be, can be a very small group. Uh, or a larger group. Um, Krishna Prema Rupa Prabhu, what do you think? Is that a good idea to try? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think Prabhu wanted to respond. I think Vedinath Prabhu wanted to respond. Yeah, I think it's a very good idea Thank you. So we will take now a question from the Mataji side. Please raise your hands. Um, speaking about the uh, Bhaktilata beach, I also <clears throat> was thinking about the other end, you know, when it <laughs> moves up and up and up and grows. And there is uh, a question which uh, came along my way. <clears throat> Somebody asked me, and I also would like to approach uh, you with the same question. It's uh, about what's the ultimate transformation? So it's like there is that point of ultimate transformation, because we are here um, cleansing the mirror of our heart. And when is that point, um, yeah, where it, you know, like, switches? <laughs> <laughs> I have a short answer. I'll let you know when it happens to me. <laughs> I have a theoretical answer. 
<laughs> of course, Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur is explaining the journey. Ado shatha tata sadhu sango ta bhajana kriya anartha nivriti shat tato nishta ruchis tata ata shaktis tata bhavas. Like that. So he's explaining that there are these nine stages. As soon as one begins bhajana kriya and they're uh, cultivating their bhakti lata beach through hearing and chanting, then it's said that at that moment anartha nivritti is activated. So immediately then the cleansing of the heart begins taking place. And what Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur explains is that at every stage after anartha nivritti, there is a certain amount of uh, purification that has taken place. I can't remember the exact terms. It's like partial, pervasive, absolute. It gives different. But the way it's explained in Madhurya Kadambini is that nishta is a real transformational point for the devotee. Because at that point, most of anartha nivritti has uh, been completed. Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur explains, how do you know that you have reached the stage of nishta? So he says there will be an absence of four things. I could be wrong on this, but I'll say what immediately comes to mind. He says, first thing is there's an absence of laya, which means laziness. Uh, then he says apratipati, which means, anyway, I can't remember the exact terms, but he says there's an absence of things like laziness, there's an absence of distraction while doing bhakti angas, there's an absence of absorption in sense gratification. Um, so he says once, all, once there's no trace of these things in your spiritual life, then you can understand you're in nishta. Otherwise, we may be in japa time one day and have a good japa time and think, maybe I'm in nishta. <laughs> but there has to be a complete absence of these things. And But even after nishta, there is still traces of anartas. Therefore, we hear of great saintly people um, slipping in their practice even at higher stages. But we can say that from nishta is a real transformation point because from there, sometimes it's explained that from shraddha to nishta is like an uphill struggle, very difficult. But then nishta is like the peak and then from there it's like a downhill, almost much more natural because after nishta there's ruchi, there's taste, there's attachment, there's emotion and from there prema. So, um, I guess nishta would be a real uh, uh, turning point in a devotee's life. Therefore, we say, Nasta Prayeshva Bhadreshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavati Uttama Shloke Bhaktir Bhavati Naishtiki. That by regular attendance at classes on the Bhagavatam and by rendering service to the pure devotee, all that is troublesome within the heart is almost completely destroyed and irrevocable service to the Supreme Lord is established as an irrevocable fact. So it seems as though that, from what the Acharyas say, is the, a huge defining point in the life of a devotee, nishta.
Thank you. A very beautiful answer. So we are slowly coming to the end of today's question answer session. I think we have a Kirtan day, but we could have a Q and A day. I think it's very uh, enlivening and everyone is very fresh and attentive and I'm sure they will, we could go for hours. Uh, we have more questions here and for sure, as more as we hear, more questions come. But we need also to, to give a good space for today's Kirtan. So maybe we can have the last question for today. I, I take the opportunity, I have the microphone so I can ask the question. If both of you could actually share your secrets to enter into kirtan. Sharing a secret means it's no longer a secret. <laughs> yes. Yes, this yes. is Bada Hari Prabhu's question. <laughs> I I personally just like to see other devotees, how they're absorbed in, in kirtan. And to me, this is, this is the, the way in, so to say. I remember a devotee years ago saying, uh, in Mayapur, many of you have been to Mayapur and you know uh, how in the temple, there's Radha Madhava, Ashtasaki, and then Perpendicular is Nrsinga altar, and to have darshan of Nrsinga Dev because he's kind of set back uh, in in the chamber. You have to be quite sort of opposite. You have to be quite in front, and that's a problem if you are coming for the uh, for the morning darshan. So many devotees will be there. All you see is the backs of devotees. <laughs> but uh, it, uh, one, one of my godbrothers pointed out to me, that is darshan of Nrsingadev. You're seeing the backs of the devotees who are seeing Nrsingadev. What's your problem? <laughs> so, <laughs> so similarly with, with kirtan, I think seeing the devotees, hearing the devotees, because it's some kirtan, it's together kirtan. So the absorption is the sense of being together, isn't that, with others who are having the common interest uh, of glorifying, pleasing the Lord. Um. Bada Hari Prabhu and myself, we were discussing about Vaishnav songs the other day, and um, I think it was Gaur Kishodas Babaji who said, you don't need much to purchase love of Godhead, just two paisa, no? Something. You just have to, with two paisa, go to the market and purchase Pratna and Prema Bhakti Chandrika. And these songs are very, very powerful because they immediately place one in the mood of uh, a beggar. So perhaps this is one uh, insight for the day that in between the kirtans, if we spend just a minute or two minutes reading the translation of one of these beautiful songs of our Vaishnavacharyas, because 
they really put us in that mood of begging, that mood of desperation, that mood of wanting to connect, that mood of urgency, that mood of um, desire. So it seems as though um, that is really... Otherwise, uh, I think it was also Gorkishore Das Babaji said, chanting can be like firing blanks. <laughs> So when you have a shotgun and you fire blanks, it makes a lot of noise, but it doesn't really penetrate any, anything. Um, and he also, I think he also mentioned about how if a lady wants to give birth, then she cannot give birth simply by imitating labor pains. Uh, there must be also <laughs> a child within also. So perhaps this is something we can do. And so grateful to Badahari Prabhu Koshirupa Mataji for leading these sessions on the Vaishnav bhajan. So very, very beautiful. I was here yesterday and it was so nice. So I can take some of that inspiration. I think, I think we also need to hear a little something from Badahari. <laughs> well, I, I think what Chris thinks here tomorrow said kind of is a, is a good point that we're actually all in this together and we need each other's help. We really need the association of devotees. We're all in this together, <laughs> and we really need each other's help. We need each other's to help help us focus and to, um, yeah. Like sometimes it's explained as a group petition. So a government will listen. When there's one person, they may not listen, but when they've got an angry mob out front, <laughs> they might listen. So. Uh, we don't need to be angry. That wasn't the point. Uh, no, that's, that, um, no, I think it's so important to support the devotees that are leading the kirtan. And um, that will also help you get into kirtan. And as one who is leading kirtan, you know, it's sometimes you go somewhere and you chant and nothing comes back. <laughs> So, when something, when something comes back, when you hear the bhakti of the devotees, when, that, when their bhakti touches your heart, then, mm. then there's an exchange, and then I think that's when Krishna comes to the kirtan. Mm. We're, we're all little specks, <laughs> very powerless to do anything. It's only if Krishna reveals himself that can we actually chant. So if we take shelter of each other in, the, in this kirtan, then that's uh, a way to be absorbed. Thank you so much. That's very beautiful ending of this uh, Q&A session. Uh, please all Take breakfast and be ready. I think according to schedule, we start at 11.30.
No? Which time? 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. So, yeah, there is a small time. Uh, uh, please be ready as soon as possible for starting the Kirtan Day. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.